That was Richard Reid from the Australian War Memorial in Canberra. And on community stations around Australia, you are listening to Beyond the Pale. Don't let anybody tell you anything else. And we're looking at the famine in Ireland and the influences it might have on Australia uh, that we might even be able to recognise today. In fact, we're probably seeing it more and more because, as you may have noticed, Celtic is cool, whether it's the prominence of the Irish peace process or just the groovy designs. Celticness is back in style. And we've got Jonathan Wooding here with us, and you are a teacher in Celtic studies at Sydney University? Um, yes, that's true. So, what's Celtic, first of all? What is Celtic? Well, Celtic's alternative, I think. Um, in our society, anyway, we look back upon a past, a past that we can um, appropriate something from our own ancestry or something from our own more cultural ancestry. And Celtic is a tradition that's an alternative tradition, not just something that is anti the current monolith of Western society, but more, it's an ancient tradition of equal value and equal importance. As a result, we can look back upon something different to the, the continuum of classical education, classical culture, neoclassical buildings, classical everything that we have you know, our parliamentary system, all these things that are very Roman and Greek in style, to something that is different. And not different because it's weaker or wilder, but different because it's just different. That's what's so great about it. So then, then how, like, now that it's all becoming so fashionable to be into it, how's it manifesting itself? Well, I don't think we're at the point yet where we can measure that very clearly. I mean, I think at the moment whatever the social or political role of Celtic is is something we can only observe because I mean as a university teacher myself I'm teaching something that has its place in the hierarchy of esoteric or interesting things but uh, what the students respond to in that why there are so many that's not at all clear yet I think so that just quickly why why is it happening now why is it becoming popular now well I think we're going through a stage in Western society where we're looking for different things, where people have gone beyond now simply reacting against the system and want to find new systems to follow or new traditions to look at in their past. Okay, thank you Jonathan. One of the reasons why Celtic stuff can seem so appealing might be because it fits in with other movements in the 20th century, like perhaps feminism. Simon Nicholas spoke with Dr Carol Cusack, lecturer in religious studies at Sydney Uni. in studies and in uh, all religion studies at uh, Sydney University. Now, people um, associate Ireland with Catholicism, essentially, but was there a strong religion or a strong um, spirituality in Ireland before St. Patrick? Yes, indeed, of course, Simon. And it's interesting that you say people associate Ireland with Catholicism because I think nowadays there's a much broader understanding of religious allegiances and interests in Ireland. The pre-Christian Irish religion is one of the most interesting of all the European pre-Christian systems that we have access to, and Celtic mythology and uh, ritual are subjects that are you know, very popular with university students and with amateurs and interest groups all over the world. Well, the role of the Virgin Mary is very important in the, in, for Irish Catholics. Now, that was sort of building on the pre-Christian um, era as well, I understand. Well, that's a complex question as well. Christianity has absorbed 
vast amounts of the religious substratums of the countries that it's in. And uh, there's an excellent book by Marina Warner, which is called Alone of All Her Sex, which talks about the cult of the Virgin Mary and how indeed she took over the sacred sites of goddesses like Diana and Artemis and various other uh, classical world goddesses, Isis also. Um, so in the case of Ireland, devotion to the Virgin Mary is fairly strong, but that's a, a strong feature of Catholicism all around. If you're talking about specific continuations of goddess traditions, it seems to me that unless you're just talking about a very general idea of the divine feminine, the Virgin Mary doesn't really connect very well with any of the pre-Christian Irish goddesses. Though there are evident, well, there's, there's other sorts of evidence. For example, St. Bridget, who was a very popular saint in Ireland, is actually a pre-Christian goddess. Um, and as a result, of course, in this uh, much more stringent days in the 20th century, she has actually been struck off the list of saints because she isn't really historically a saint at all. She's just a goddess who's been transmogrified into a saintly figure so people can maintain their devotion to her. So essentially, were the goddesses in Ireland the most important spiritual figures in the pre-Christian era? That's a problematic question as well. Everything you ask seems to open up a whole bag of things to discuss. Pre-Christian Irish society, which we know quite a lot about from archaeology and also from uh, literature, which reflects this society, and I suppose the epic poem, the Toyn Bacoolni, the cattle raid of Cooley, uh, and some of the other uh, legendary mythological sources offer some information there. It was what is normally called a heroic society. Now, the other kinds of heroic societies that we know quite a bit about include Homeric Greece, for example. And while the role of the woman, and therefore the goddess as the female uh, in the divine realm, is significant and has certain interesting powers and positions, in fact, the business of society effectively is the making of war. And that's a, a man's business. There are some female warriors in um, Irish texts. Uh, in particular, there are a couple of interesting women. Skatak is one of them, who uh, are actually instructors in the arts of war. And even though they're female, they instruct young men in how to become warriors. But effectively, the making of war is a male occupation. So even though sovereignty and dominion over land and territory is sometimes connected with female figures, and there are figures such as Queen Maeve, who's from the Toyn, who clearly rules independently, and the man she has with her is just her lover, her consort, he's not actually a king. Um, it's very problematic to say that the, the feminine form of the divine is, is the most predominant or the most significant religious idea or spiritual idea. Well, a lot of those things that you're saying there seem to indicate that there was actually a quite complex system occurring in Ireland, even though it was such a small country. Oh, the system was extraordinarily complex. You couldn't be more right, because there were deities, for example, that were associated specifically with natural phenomena. For example, Boan, the goddess of the River Boyne. Um, she's a you know, classic woman connected to feature of nature figure. And in all the Celtic cultures, uh, goddesses were most predominantly associated with water than with, rather than with the earth, which we tend to find in other traditions. So we have Sequana, the goddess of the Seine in France, um, Coloda, the goddess of the Clyde in Scotland, Sabrina, the goddess of the Seven in England. They're all um, Celtic goddesses who are associated with waterways and with the life-giving powers of waterways. Similarly, you have what are called sovereignty goddesses, 
and the most interesting of those in Ireland is a woman called Maha who appears in a triple form and that takes us into this whole notion of threeness and sacrality of the sacredness of the number three and we find the goddess frequently has three aspects whether they are you know the classic uh, form of the maiden the mother and the crone, the withered old woman, or whether it's the Irish form, which tends to be a goddess associated with the Druids, then a goddess associated with the rulers, then a goddess associated with the agriculturalists, which reflects the structure of society. That was Simon Nicholas talking to Dr. Carol Cusick from Sydney University. We've still got Jonathan Wooding with us here and we're talking about Celticness and why is it so fashionable. Jonathan, my question to you is, is there any other historical situation that compares to the resurgence of pagan beliefs? Well, I mean, I'm not sure um, how widespread the current resurgence of pagan beliefs is in respect to Celtic things. Um, I mean, I think what is resurgent in Celtic studies at the moment, uh, in the popular perception of it, maybe as much pa a mixture of pagan and Christian as anything specifically pagan. I mean, we're looking for alternative cultural traditions, not me anyway, I'm only an analyst, you know, I only watch, you know, the, the classic voyeur of the acad you know, academic world. But um, I think what it is is the looking for, as I say, for something alternative, something different. Now, in that, there are different periods in history where people have looked for uh, a plural, pluralism in society, look for something else that they can identify with. Um, whether it is something religious, something cultural, something artistic, it, it could be all sorts of things. Sometimes it's within the Christian tradition, sometimes it's tapping into alternatives. Celtic might, in the 1990s might be comparable to Buddhism in the 60s or something of that sort. But what it is here is something a bit different to that because the Celtic tradition is ethnically much closer to a lot of Australians and say Buddhism would be or, or something of that sort. A lot of us have Celtic ancestry so there's an ownership thing there as well I think. But we're finally looking at alternative Western cultures and religions. Yes so of course in reality it may be that what they find in it is just as alien as something they find in Eastern culture mm. and in many ways abstract art with a tradition as opposed to say modern abstract art of say, abstract expressionism or something which is anti-tradition um, abstract art with a tradition is eastern and it's celtic mm. and um, it's more it's looking for the same things but in this case it just is a difference because it is something from our own past maybe for a lot of us but then it depends on which community you come from mm. I, I know plenty of people of asian or greek extraction or some that sort of thing who, who are interested in celtic things as well mm. so um, it's just different. Of course, it, it, the art is majestic. I mean, it really is. Mm. The, there's something appealing in it for everybody. Mm. Uh, and so we don't have to emphasize that ownership thing, but it must be a factor somewhere in there. Mm. So what kind of people study Celtic stuff? Uh, well, I suppose that when, uh, when we look for community interest, we do often emphasise this thing about it being people of Celtic ancestry who will be interested. But I've had students from every cultural and ethnic background. Uh, mm. um, it, I think there has an appeal, like all things have an appeal. Um, but there's something very appealing about Celtic uh, images, Celtic literature, Celtic languages even, to people uh, regardless of their ethnic or cultural background. So where do the Celts actually essentially come from? 
Well, Celtic people were... Um, to say they're the first Europeans would be wrong because Europeans have been there for a long, long time. But they're amongst the first historical Europeans. I mean, they're there with the Romans and the Greeks right at the beginning of recorded history. And they were a bigger and more dominant group at that stage. Um, so, I mean, they're just an important ancient people who's left some cultural legacy in different forms through the main um, Western European countries, as well as the Celtic lands on the fringe of Europe that still speak Irish, Welsh or whatever, mm. the Celtic languages. But there's a lot of Celtic in all sorts of cultures. The French, for example, have what they call their asterisk complex. Their alternative to Gallicism is their their Celticism, you know, yeah. their, so there's just a Roman tradition and then there's their, um, their Celtic tradition. Asterix tradition. The Asterix tradition. <laughs> it's very important. Uh, indeed. <laughs> all right, I think that's just about all the time we have. Or can I ask him another question? Yes? No. No more questions, Jonathan, I'm sorry. No, I've got no more answers. Hey. Okay, then. <laughs> all right, so... Um, I'm just trying to work out where we are. So we're going to say thank you to 5UV in Adelaide who are leaving us a little bit early today and especially to you at Shaw and Friends for their contribution to today's program. Well.